Greetings to all of you this morning. I guess it's my turn now to share some encouragement. <clears throat> I appreciate that song we just sung, Alone with God. Uh, when storms of life are beating, we are blessed to have a refuge. We heard that in our devotional. The storms of life can sometimes seem like mountains being casted to the midst of the sea. But most times they're a lot smaller than that, aren't they? And yet I find over and over again that people are washing out. You know, it's true, isn't it? People are washing out here and there. Find that sometimes in places you don't expect it. And I wonder sometimes why the washout. Is the gospel not good enough for those individuals who wash out? Is there something wrong with the gospel that people should wash out? And I believe that you with me would say, no. Nothing wrong with the gospel. Then why the washout? Washout's real, isn't it? I see a few heads shaking, yes. Yes, it's real. And I begin to wonder a little. I wonder sometimes, do we not have something right? Are we missing something? What causes this tragedy of washout? And I believe that sometimes people don't have it quite right. And, you know, I'm not saying I always have it right. But as I pondered that, I decided I'm going to look again, afresh, anew, and ponder all over again, what is the gospel? And before I do that, I wonder if anybody can quickly give me a concise definition for the gospel. What do you think of when you think of the gospel? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay, that's good. Anything else? Good news. Good news. Yeah, that's what the word gospel means. And quite often people refer to the fact that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, which is also part of the good news. Okay. Uh, but I'd like to this morning talk about uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can turn to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 1. And that's where I get my title for this message, The Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that, like you, if that, like me, causes you to think, is there any difference between the beginning and the end? Have you ever think about that? Is there any difference between the beginning and the end of the gospel? Yes. There's a very big difference. A very big difference. And uh, I'm going to only talk about, or mostly talk about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you are wanting to know about the end of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that's in Revelations. And one day, the Lord Jesus is going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who obey not the truth. That's the end of the gospel. And uh, that's going to happen. It's something we should not forget. But that's not what I'm going to talk about the most this morning. I'm going to talk about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it is given here, as it is unfolded to us in the scriptures. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. As it is written in the prophets... 
Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And we know that refers to John, right? John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. I was uh, piqued by the uh, thing as it says about it is written in the prophets. Where is it written in the prophets? Like this. Anybody know? You have to get a concordance out maybe. I'll tell you where to find it. It's in Isaiah 40. In fact, I'd like you to turn to that right now. Isaiah 40. Now, if you read through the book of Isaiah, you will find that most of the things uh, in the first part of the first chapters had to do with Isaiah's time period. Prophecies concerning Israel at that time. Prophecies of uh, how they're going to be carried away into Babylon and things like that. And uh, if you look at uh, chapter 39, you will see that uh, it's talking there about uh, Hezekiah and uh, things that happened during his time. But as you come to chapter 40, there is a distinct change in tone. From uh, chapter 40 and the chapters that follow are primarily messianic prophecies, meaning the prophecy of Messiah to come. Okay? And they are very different than the rest of the book of Isaiah. It's a, it's a very beautiful prophecy. Uh, portion of scripture to to read this is the part where where God comes and he says and now I'm going to do something different and that by the way is the gospel the good news the good news <clears throat> if you uh if you read through that you can realize that Throughout the Old Testament, all the periods of the Old Testament, there were there were bright periods. There were bright times. There were times when God moved among his people. There were times when people felt the moving of God. There were times when the Spirit of God came upon individuals. But you know what was really different about the Old Testament? The real big difference was the Spirit of God was not inside of everybody. Yes, by times, the Spirit of God came upon people. And they did mighty things. Even Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and he did fearful things when the Spirit of God was upon him. But people didn't live there continuously. And because the Spirit of God was not within them, they tried to do what was right and failed over and over again. And the law just did not bring righteousness to pass. The law could not fulfill the fullness of the gospel. But here in Isaiah, we find the promise that there's coming a day. Isaiah said there's coming a day when God is going to take away your stony heart. And we heard that this morning too, didn't we? God is going to take away your stony heart and he's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit to live within, to make you want to do what is right. And that's awesome. Has that happened to you? Is that where you live today? I find, I believe, that individuals who are falling away, becoming those casualties, perhaps they have not experienced the Holy Spirit within. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and I warn all of us that, we, you know, we are all concerned about sustainability. You know, sustainability has become a buzzword today, right? And, amen, I'm... For sustainability, I, I want to do something that is sustainable. But, you know, the Old Testament is not sustainable. You understand? There's a difference. The Old Testament gave all of the laws and, the, and all the precepts and, and defined what righteousness is. And 
And they couldn't keep it. Because it was just law. It defined, it made definitions, but it did not have the power to produce a life hidden in Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament is not sustainable. But the New Testament is. The New Testament is the time when God's spirit, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God says, I will make it so that that, that I live within their hearts. And, and you won't need to have every man is teaching his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord from the beginning to the end, from the least to the greatest. You have that opportunity of the Holy Spirit being within. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. Okay, let's look a little bit at Isaiah chapter 40. You turn to that. And I'd like to read as, as the Isaiah gives this to, his, to the people. And he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. In other words, finished. You don't have to keep on fighting. The warfare is done. The battle is over. And her iniquity is pardoned. Wow. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And uh, I don't know how you read that, but uh, I remember that in years gone by, I used to read that, that they had received double punishment for all the sins that they had done. God had disciplined them and disciplined them and finally decided he had enough or that they had enough. That's not right. I want you to know that's not right. That's not how God treats Israel. He did not treat Israel that way. He doesn't treat you that way. If God gave you just one time, not double, if he gave you just one time punishment for your sins, you're dead forever in hell. Right? How could you ever receive double? You couldn't. Not a possibility. So that's not what this means. God didn't give them double punishment. No, what did he give them double of? He gave them double grace. That's what he gave them. Now read that again. Isn't that wonderful? For she hath received of the Lord's hand double grace for everything you've ever faced. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? And that is the gospel. That's the good news. Well, let's move on. Chapter or verse three. And here again, this is where the voice of where John got his thing. He said, I am the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. The rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. It's going to come to pass. And the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? Well, this is what you should cry. All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, thou that, that bringest good tidings, get thee up unto the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. 
Who hath measured the water? Oh, excuse me. Who hath measured? This is talking about the Lord. The Lord has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. In other words, he holds the oceans in his hand. He meets out heaven with a span. He comprehends the dust of the earth in a measure. And weighs the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Takes a big God for that, doesn't it? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him. He is the creator. He made all of these things. He stretched out the heavens. Himself. Who told him how to do that? No one. No one. He's God. He's the infinite one. He's the almighty one. With whom took he counsel? Who instructed him? Who taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And showed unto him the way of understanding? And the answer is no one. Right? No one. He's God. He did it all himself. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is the great I am. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. And when you get one drop of water in a bucket and you look in, do you have a bucket full? No. It's hardly enough to make it wet. All the people, the whole wide world, however many billion there is of them, forget how many that is, they are Compared to God, a drop in the bucket. They are counted as a small dust of the balance. You know, when you have these balance scales, you want to measure something really careful, you know? If you're really careful, you wipe the dust off the balance, you know, get it very perfect. But most people don't dust the balances, do they? No. The dust that's on the balance doesn't weigh anything. Doesn't account to anything for most operations. People, compared to God, are like the dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. If you took all of the wood off of Mount Lebanon... And all the animals that are in there, all the deer and everything, and made a sacrifice with them all. Would that be pretty good sacrifice? No, that's not sufficient. Not for a God like this. For a God like this, he's bigger than that. Don't forget who a big God is. All nations before him are as... Nothing. They are counted unto him less than nothing. That's negative. And vanity. Reminds me of Solomon. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity, right? They're vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Nothing. But people have tried. They've tried all kinds of things. Workmen have melted and made a graven image and goldsmiths have spread over it over with gold and they cast silver chains. And Does that make a God? Is there anything? Is that anything like God? Does that even come close to God? No. No, far from it. Other people who were too poor to have gold and silver and things like that. They'd go and get a tree that uh, maybe a cedar tree or something that wouldn't rot. And they get a real skillful craftsman and workman there to prepare a graven image to put in their house that it should not be moved. Is that like God? Is that anything close to God? No, not at all. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof 
before him are as grasshoppers. He's the one that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out like a tent to dwell in. He bringeth princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Uh, It sounds a little bit like the verses at the beginning. You know, all flesh is grass. Even the most mighty men, even the most powerful kingdoms, even the United States of America is as grass. And the grass withereth. And the flower thereof falleth. And the grace and the passion of it perisheth. So is all flesh. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created all these things? The stars at night time. And he brings them all out by number. And he's got a name for all of them. He, up there is Betelgeuse and over there is Orion and He's got a name for all of them. I don't. He calleth them all by names and by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power and not one of them faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not. Neither is he ever weary. And there is no searching of his understanding. You cannot plumb it. You cannot fathom it. You cannot be wiser than him. He is beyond you in every way. He is before you. Behind you, ahead of you, under you, over you. He's everywhere. He cannot be outwitted. He cannot be mistaken. He never makes a mistake. Some things, sometimes people think that he has. They just don't understand. He giveth power to the faint. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He giveth to to them that have no might. He increases strength. Have you felt that sometimes? I have. It's wonderful. But you know, without him, even the youths who are the strongest, you know, toughest, not going to stop for anything. But even the youths will become faint and weary. And even young men shall utterly fall. Before the trials and stresses and troubles of life. That's how tough it is around here in the, on the earth because of sin. The toughest of you cannot make it alone. You might think you're tough, but you can't make it. Even if you're a young man in the vigor of your youth, you cannot make it. You will Wither and die on your own. You cannot do it. But they that wait on the Lord, this is a different story. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. That's awesome, isn't it? What a promise. But how does this distill to us? How does it come down to where the rubber meets the road? And why is it that people question the goodness of God? Well, there's a deceiver. 
We could read about that. I'm not going to this morning. You know very well there's a deceiver. And he's very good at his job. And he has made many to fall. He's very alive and well today. But God is more than his match. More than his match. There can be no likeness to God. There can be no one that matches his strength. He made it all in the first place. I mean, when you look out and you look at the marvels of the creation, can you help but realize this is an awesome God that made all of this? Even just one tree out there is an awesome creation. And there is so much more. So the Old Testament defined what righteousness is. And today, in church life today, many people try to define what righteousness is by the same way in which the Old Testament did it. Rules, regulations, do this, do that. And you know what? They always come short. You cannot make enough of rules to bring in righteousness. You just can't. And if righteousness could come that way, then there would have been no need for a covenant. Right? There had been no need for a covenant. The new covenant I'm speaking of. But in that the Old Testament method and plan and purpose could not bring in righteousness. God says, and I don't completely understand how God says this because he knew this from the beginning. But he says, "I, I find fault with the old because the old didn't do it. So now I bring you the new. And I will no longer give you the law as it's been, but I will give you my spirit to put it within you and it will blossom from within. That's amazing. Now I'm telling you this morning that if you have the spirit of God within like this, what this is talking about, if you desire with all of your heart to do the will of the Lord, it will happen. It will happen. And that is sustainable. It's perfectly sustainable. Keep that in mind. This is why Isaiah said, Zion, get up. The glory of the Lord is revealed. God has given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Arise, Zion, for you have received double for all your sins. You have more grace than you need to conquer. How many of you have ever felt like you just didn't have enough of grace to make it? You know what's right? And you just feel like, I don't have the power to do that. Now, see your hands? Anybody feel like that? Yeah, I've been there too. Wake up. You have not only enough of strength to make it, but you have double for it. You don't need to fail. It's because your faith lacks that you do not believe. God has given you double for all your needs. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but it's true because God said so. You don't need to fail. Why do we fail anyway? It's us. Okay, so I'd like you to go back now to 
Mark. If you flip back again to Mark, go back to the New Testament here. And we have here in Mark the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel means good news. And it begins with with what? Amazingly, a call to righteousness. Begins with a call to do righteously. To make his path straight. Hasn't changed, has it? God didn't change. He's not planning to change. Remember that. It says here that John did baptize. Have you ever wondered why John baptized? I have. Did anyone before John ever baptize? Does anybody know of any place where anyone else ever baptized? Could you raise your hand if you know of anybody baptized before John the Baptist? I'm not aware of any. To my knowledge, no one ever baptized before John the Baptist. Why did John baptize? Kind of outstanding. And even the Pharisees came to him one day and said, Why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing? Well, what did John tell them? John said, I baptize you because he who called me told me to do so. That's why I baptize. There was, God came to me and told me, you are the one who is to prepare the way of the Lord. You are to go out there to be the voice that's crying in the wilderness. He probably was reading from Isaiah 40. You are the one who is to cry as in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And when people change and want to do differently, you baptize them. And then you tell them that there's coming one after me who will be much greater and much more powerful than me. And he is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Wow. This is a new thing. Never before done. John baptized. Well, what does baptism mean? Maybe I should ask you, what does it mean today? When you get baptized, some of you just got baptized not too long ago. What did you mean when you got baptized? By the way, everybody that gets baptized should know this. What does it mean to be baptized? I'm afraid that some people don't understand. I'm afraid, and I know this is true, that in some churches, and I hope it's not true here ever, ever, but it is in some places, that when you get to a certain age, you get baptized and join the church. God forbid. Some people get baptized because their friends are all getting baptized. You know, it's the kind of thing to do. You get up there at a certain age and you get baptized and join the church. And that's just a that's just a sinner getting wet. I'm sorry. That's nothing changed. What does baptism mean? Well, since you're all sitting there like you're expecting me to tell you, I guess I'll tell you. Baptism means I am completely done living the life that I have lived to this point. And I bury it. And rise a new creature in Christ Jesus. It means I'm done living like I've been living up to the la- up to this point. I've been a sinner. I've been doing all kinds of things I shouldn't have been doing. And I'm done with that life. I'm going to bury it. I'm completely finished with it. And I'm going to live differently from now on. 
That's what baptism means. If that's not what you mean when you come to baptism, then don't get baptized. That's what baptism means. If that's not what you meant when you got baptized, maybe you ought to make that declaration yet. Okay? Because what baptism is, is to tell the whole wide world, everyone that's looking, look, I'm done with the past. I'm setting a new course. Okay? That's what baptism means. That's what John was saying down there by the River Jordan. And as the people came out to him to hear him, funny old man out there, dressed in rags, you might say, burlap bags and leather tied around him. He ate locusts and wild honey, strange old man. But he preached the power of God and they said, he's got something to tell us. He did have something to tell them. He told them that the Messiah was coming. Get ready. You gotta stop your sins. You gotta cut off this wickedness that you have. You've gotta change. And if you're willing to change, come over here and I'll show the world that you're gonna change. We're gonna dunk you. Okay? And they came. Amazing in some ways. Even the scribes and Pharisees seemed to come. And John said to them one day, what do you come to be baptized for? I don't see any change at all in your life. Get out of here. Go home and repent right when you've got fruits worthy of repentance. Then come and I'll baptize you. I'm not going to baptize you the way you are. I'm only baptizing people who are willing to change their lives. Yeah, we need a little of that too today, don't we? Amen to that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. If we're going to have a baptism like that, we're going to have to realize, first of all, that a change needs to take place. You cannot change without knowing that a change is necessary. That's why John came preaching repentance from sins. John said, you have to realize the life you're living is wrong. You are in sin. And you got to realize that. Before you can receive the Holy Spirit within, before this can really be changed, you've got to know that you need a change. That's what the law is good for. It helps us to know what we need to change about. It tells us what righteousness is. It has a perfect place in God's plan. It is not useless. But you must know that there is a change that needs to take place. And when you know that there's a change that needs to take place, and you know that you stand before a holy God, and before Him you are as dust of the balance. Before Him you are nothing. Before him you are as grass that withereth and as the flower that fadeth. Before him you are as nothing. Before him you are less than nothing. Before him you have a chance. But when you come to that realization that here you stand before the almighty God. And he knows what you're like all the way through. And he knows that you are. Dust. He remembereth our frame and he knows that we are dust. And when you know that's the condition you're in, you're ready for his promise. Now, his promise is if you will confess your sins and forsake them, I will give you life everlasting and I will come and make my abode with in you, I'll enter into your heart and I'll take away that stony, ugly heart that you have and I'll give you a heart of flesh that wants to do the will of God. Are you ready for that? Well, if you're ready for that, God moves in and transformation takes place and things happen that could never, ever happen under the law.
Yeah, that's the gospel. I think that's for later. I'll say that in a minute. All right, let's move on. And by the way, I should say that God gave you double grace again for all those sins. All right, uh, and there went out to Jerusalem, or out from Jerusalem to to Jordan. Uh, Maybe I should read it from the scripture here. Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the repentance preached the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. And they were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. They came to terms with their sins. And John was clothed with a camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. Like I was saying, he must have been quite a strange old fellow. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I I mean, this one that I'm preparing the way for, he is beyond me in every way, and I am even unworthy to tie his shoes. Did John know at this point who he was? No, I don't think. But that's what God told him. God told God told John, you go and you prepare the way of Messiah and Messiah will come and Messiah is everything. Messiah is God's own son. And he is going to change the entire Nation from the inside out. Go and preach repentance and tell them that there is one coming. Get ready for him because he wants to move within you. And John was doing that. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. This was not expected by John, by the way. And he came to John and was baptized of John. It doesn't say all the details here in Mark. But if you go to one of the other Gospels, you will see that uh, And John, came, when Jesus came up to John and asked for baptism, John said, hold it. Uh No, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. Because John knew that Jesus was really different. Jesus was his cousin. I suppose they played together some. And Jesus was always right. John was the one that did the bad things. Jesus was always the good fellow. And, you know, John's preaching repentance. And so as Jesus is coming, he's thinking, Jesus wants to repent? I mean, he's never done anything wrong. If anybody needs to repent, it would be me, not him. Right? And he says, why would I be baptizing you? Interesting. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand, but just do it anyhow, because... That's, uh, there's a purpose in this. Could anybody tell me what that purpose is? Why was Jesus being baptized? Did he need to repent? No. Well, what was baptism for then? Why would Jesus say he needs to be baptized? Did he do it just because everybody else was doing it? No. Why was Jesus being baptized? Anybody got an idea? Fulfill all righteousness. That's what he said. Fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean? We're left to guess a little bit. Since you're all looking at me like you want me to tell you now, I guess I'll tell you what I think. And I don't have Bible for this. But uh, I, I do have some logic behind it. I think 
that Jesus had come to the point of his life when he was ready to make a major change. Up until this point, he lived like a man upon the earth. And he lived righteously and sinlessly. But he was living like a man, like you and I live. Regular, doing the things that he needed to do. He worked in the carpenter shop and everything else. And he lived a normal life. Now has come the time when Jesus is going to switch gears and he is done with all of that past life. Done with everything he's lived up to this point. That has been now fulfilled. And now he's going to reveal himself to the entire world as Messiah. Okay? And this is why he was baptized. Because he's making a complete change of life's purpose here. He lived sinlessly first. Now he is going to reveal himself as the Messiah. Okay? Does that make sense? That's why I think he was baptized. Now, when Jesus gets baptized, when Jesus does this in front of the entire crowd and is baptized, what happens? You know, don't you? What happened? Yeah. And heaven opened and God spoke out of heaven in an audible voice. That's enough to really scare you, isn't it? But God says in an audible voice, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Wow. And a dove came down and landed on Jesus. Now I forgot to tell you, but you know it already, that John was expecting this to happen somehow. He was going to know who the Messiah was. And up until this point, it says very clearly in the book of John, that John said, I did not understand. I did not know who I was talking about. I only knew that God told me that you go and prepare. And the sign I give you is that upon whom you see the Spirit of God descend like a dove and rest upon him. That is the man I'm talking about. Okay? And that was the sign that God had given to John. And so when heaven opened, Jesus was baptized and heaven gave record and heaven said, yes, this is my son. I want you to hear him. This is it. And the Spirit of God came down and John said, that's it. That's the sign. He who sent me told me when you see the Spirit come down and rest upon him, that's the Messiah. And I bear record. I bear record. This is the Son of God. This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he said that with full confidence because God had told him so. That's amazing, isn't it? That's why Jesus was baptized. Because this was the inauguration of him as Messiah. Before that, He was flesh incarnate, living among men like a regular man. Now he is Messiah. Wow. I don't have time for all this. Well, this was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe someday I'll get to preach the end of it. But I'm not going to keep you all day, so give me a few moments. I'll see if I can cut this a little short. Um, After Jesus is baptized and uh, declared to be the, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. The devil really got busy. And the Spirit of God was busy too. And the Spirit of God led Jesus up into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days. And he experienced temptation on every level. Every level. 
And the devil was very busy now that he was declared. I find in that something you should always remember. When you declare yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can just expect that the devil's not going to like that very well. And he will tempt you. He will tempt you. And Jesus received temptation here stronger than he had ever experienced before, I believe. And this happens when you become a Christian. You will again receive temptation. And sometimes the temptation is stronger than it's ever been before. You can be prepared for that. But I remind you that for all of that temptation, you have double grace. Don't ever forget that God promised you double grace. Not just enough to overcome, but double grace. And Jesus completely fulfilled all righteousness. He made it. And you can make it by his spirit. By yourself? No, you can't make it. And you will make some mistakes and you will fail. But his spirit gives you the opportunity and power to be faithful anywhere. Uh, To me, that's perfectly awesome. That is the difference between the Old Testament and the New. You now have the grace of God within This is the reason why I think so many people fail and wash out. Because they are not fully aware of the power of God within. And I warn you, many people, many Christians, even today in this day of grace, are living their lives as if they were under the Old Testament. They live according to rules and regulations. They live according to, thus saith the church, Blah, 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 blah. But they do not pay attention to the spirit within. And because they do not have the connection with the almighty one who is going to thrill you and fill you from the inside out, because they do not have that, they wash out. Now, I remind you again that God has called you not again unto condemnation, but he has called you to receive of his Holy Spirit. To live within the power of God that is full, rich, powerful, able for twice your temptations. Double for all that you could experience. Soon after this, John was cast into prison. And then it says that Jesus came preaching. And it says that Jesus. Oh, I should read that. Let me see here. Verse 14. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What does that mean to you? Now, if you're one of those, uh, I hate to say Baptists, but they do that so much. So I'm going to just say, if you're one of those Baptists that think that the whole gospel is that Jesus Christ came to the world, died for our sins, and rose again, and that's it. That's the gospel. If you're one of those people, you're going to have a little problem with this verse, aren't you? Because this verse says that Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I am absolutely sure that no one at that point knew that Jesus was going to die on a cross for forgiveness of sins. I'm absolutely sure of that. No one understood. And I don't think Jesus was at this point declaring that he was going to do that. No one understood that Jesus was going to die for our sins. No one did that. But Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What did he mean? What did he mean? That Jesus was going to die for your sins? No. What did he mean? I used to puzzle over that a little bit. 
He meant the gospel has come. Everything that is said in Isaiah from verse from chapter 40 on that God is going to come and live within you and the kingdom would would happen from within and not without that you don't need to have all of the ceremonies and everything to cleanse your sins because I'm going to move into you and I am going to give you forgiveness and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That was the kingdom of God. And he said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means now it's here. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Believe this good news. Are you getting that? Do you get the idea that God not only just forgave your sins on Calvary? That is a part of it. I'm not saying that's not part of the gospel. It definitely is. Yeah, the blood of Jesus did need to be shed. We all understand that at this point. But the gospel, the good news is you can do it now because God is within. You have an opportunity to live with God next, right next to you. He is within you. He is filling you. He leads you. He guides you. How could you go wrong? How could you go wrong when the spirit of God is right next to you, speaking to you? When you're communing with the Holy Spirit of God, are you about to sin? All of you know what it's like to commune with the Spirit of God, don't you? And when you're living in the Spirit with God talking to you and you hear the voice of God, not audibly, but you, know, you hear in your heart the voice of God and, and you feel his power and you know that he has cleansed you from all sin and made you clean and white and pure. Are you about to sin? No. He that lives this way, John said, he that hath this spirit, he can't sin because he is begotten of God. He lives with a power within that causes him to do what is right because he has fellowship with God and he wants God's will to be done in his life. Yeah. And he who lives this way Cannot sin. I have to quit. I'd just like to bring you to this one thing this morning. It's my desire with this message. My desire to inspire every one of you to make your one goal above all else. Above all else. Make it your one goal to be completely led and controlled by this Messiah. This Messiah who will come and live within you. This Messiah that has the ability for anything. This Messiah who stretched out the heavens with a span and he comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. This God who is omnipotent and nothing can sway him and stop him. He has promised to be within you and enable you for anything. That's the promise. That's the promise. And it is my desire this morning that your one passion would be to move into this experience with him. That you, with one desire, want to receive this good news. This good news that God is available like this. If you want to receive the good news, you cannot help but repent. You cannot take the old with you. You cannot say, well, praise God. God died for all my sins. I'm on my way to heaven and I'll just continue doing these bad things. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. You will repent if you see what God is about. 
you will repent of your sin and you will invite him in. And that's my one passion for you this morning. That with all of your heart, you will desire this gospel to be real and tangible to you. It's available.